0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit Champchurch.com uh, I want to, uh, to get into the word. We're going to be uh, wrapping up what started as a message and turned into a bit of a series. Uh, So we're going to revisit a few things. Most of our time is going to be spent getting to our conclusion. So uh, I want to jump right into that so that we don't lose uh, too much time. Uh, As we get into the Word this morning, a few things, if you're taking notes, some of these will sound familiar because they've been from weeks past, but uh, we'll still revisit them as we get to uh, our conclusion this morning. A few things that we were looking for in the Word, uh, one was what's not good for anyone, we're going to revisit that because we're going to, to circle back to that as we get to our conclusion. So we'll definitely open with that. Uh, another thing that we found, and we found this out last week, the enemy of joy. Uh, the reason why it's important to note the enemy of joy is because joy is such an important part of the gospel. I mean, Jesus prayed and he asked that God would give you uh, his joy so that your joy could be made full And when you make a list of things that Jesus asks the Father to give you, it's not a real long list. So it should tell you the importance of having joy in your life. Uh, It's a a true priority. Uh, Another thing that we're going to find is what we need to be aware of, and we'll definitely find that out uh, today as we get into the Word. So uh, we'll be wrapping this up today. We're going to do a little bit of a recap to start with. Uh, If things sound a little familiar, just hang in there. Uh, We'll get where we're going. So. Uh, We mentioned we're going to find out what's not good for anyone. Now, we've touched on this every week because it's kind of the foundation for the the series of messages. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Genesis. Uh, We're going to pull from Genesis 2, uh, 18. Genesis 2, verse 18. Now, God is speaking, and he makes something very clear. Uh, It's not produced in any kind of uh, riddle or doesn't require a lot of interpretation or, or feeling uh, to be understood. It's, it's very direct. Uh, the word reads like this it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I want to stop there because, for the purpose of this message, that's really all that we need to, to dive into. The idea that it's not good to be alone. I mean, God is speaking here, who's absolutely perfect in all of his ways, and, and that has to be understood to understand what's being spoken here. I mean, it's not like he made something and said, boy, that was close. We almost got it here. It's, it's 99% perfect. There's just one little flaw. But you know what? I'm tired. Let's just go with it, right? He makes man and he, he identifies this not as a flaw, but as a part of who man is so that we can understand who we are. I mean, God's done this by design. It's not a flaw. It's, it's an intentional part of our being for the purpose of us ultimately walking in our calling, which we'll see in the scripture is to be unified, to be as one. When God makes this clear that it's not good for man to be alone, he's making this statement, not of a weakness or a flaw, but rather a declaration that it needs to be understood that independence or individual independence is not going to produce the effect that God's called us to. It's not going to deliver the result that his word promises will our lives are capable of producing. And we began to identify this and talk about church life. Now, when this series began, it was birthed out of some of the meetings that we've had on Saturday with the men. And some of those meetings were about church life, seeing people come and people go and knowing histories of uh, churches and, and challenges and issues relationally. I'd mentioned a, a number of things that I'd witnessed in, in you know, more than 20 years of pastoring where people would come and have wonderful things take place in their lives, uh, deliverance from drugs or alcohol or, or some kind of addiction and, and uh, maybe have a, a marriage rescued and a family restored or uh, have a physical healing or, or some act of deliverance where some bondage was lifted off of their lives. Something that's just really incredible take place, miraculous, what we would call you know, signs and wonders. And then just a short time later, it's as if nothing ever happened and someone's upset, and before you know it, fellowship is broken. But it seems odd that something that is so small can outweigh something that is so heavy. I mean, I've seen conflicts and and separations and breaches in fellowship over things that were really minuscule. And when you consider the power and the value of the relationship of functioning as the body of Christ and the, the wonderful flow of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the the results and the fruits of those things, it doesn't, seem to be a, 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 it doesn't seem to be something that is in equal proportion. It seems to be disproportionate. So what we began discussing was why. Why is that? Why can small things outweigh big things? I mean, if I were to put a scale up here on the, this podium and put a feather on one side and a stone on the other side, you would expect the stone to be heavier than the feather. But for some reason, when it comes to these uh, situations and circumstances relationally, small things can outweigh big things. And so we began to investigate that. We began to look at these small things so that we could see how potent they really are. We began by looking at uh, negativity and criticism. We saw throughout the scripture that it's something that is, is extremely destructive because with every critical word or every negative word, there's a foundation of accusation and accusation would be the work of the devil as he's even called the accuser of the brethren so when we see that criticism functioning in and through our lives we see that we're actually participating in or partaking in the work of the enemy and our calling is to partic- to, to participate in and partake in uh, the work of our savior Jesus who is his work is intercession rather than accusation We talked about that and discussed that. If you missed it, I'm sure you can go back online and and find that message. We looked at some reasons uh, uh, why it's important to do the opposite, to encourage, and how much encouragement is in the scripture and the wonderful effects of that. But we began to see how something so small, a critical word, could produce something so large as separation or a breach in fellowship. We went on to look at another trap that is present in relationships, and it's defensiveness. Uh, we looked at, at defensiveness as this, uh, you know, uh, unwillingness to hear the, the complaint of another. And that is, uh, and its foundation, extremely arrogant. We talked about the, the dangers of being unteachable and, and the solution being humility of heart. And how that, uh, that pride existing even puts you at opposition with the plan of God. The scripture itself saying God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we talked about how grace is not... Mercy, and it's easy to confuse those two things, but that mercy is God's forgiveness of my sins, but God's grace in my life is his impartation of the Holy Ghost, the power of God, the authority of the name of Jesus, so that I don't have to go about my life with the same capacity that I messed it up with in the first place. But I am a new creature with old things passed away, new things come. It's a wonderful thing to consider God's grace. But that arrogance, that defensiveness that can be present can be a hindrance to God's grace at work in our lives. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, we talked about another pitfall within fellowship, within relationships. We talked about bitterness. And last week's message, I believe, had an impact on everyone that was present. It's a uh, an element that touches every person's life. We defined bitterness as unresolved anger, and we talked about the, the results of bitterness and what it can do. The scripture says that bitterness is something that brings about destruction. It causes trouble, and in, in the word uh, itself says that many people are defiled by it when it does spring up. And we identified that as something that we've seen before, whether it's in families and households or in churches and relationships that are, are in larger number, where unresolved anger can lead to, to many people being upset. I've seen that personally in, in 20 years of pastoring. I've seen groups, large groups of people where one person will be upset and, and that anger will go unresolved. And before you know it, more than one person are sharing in that bitterness and, and it creates a, a fracture that affects more than one. And in that divisiveness, there's great destruction. So we looked at bitterness, and we talked about the solution to that being forgiveness. And if we were to go into that in great detail, I'm concerned that we would use all of our time, and we would re-preach, excuse me, uh, last week's message. Uh, So we have talked about these things, and I want to, to, after doing that little recap, uh, make this a, a statement, that this is a personal thought, it's just an opinion of mine, but I, I believe that these things are progressive. And what I mean by that is they're in this order, in my opinion, for a reason. I think that negativity and criticism can progress to defensiveness and pride. And, and then I think that defensiveness and pride can open up the door to be angry at people that do things different or believe different or think different. And, and before you know it, that anger goes unresolved. And, and when it becomes unresolved, the, the root of bitterness springs up. And, And then when the root of bitterness springs up, where does that go? What does it finally progress to? And that's where we're at today, and it's why I believe that we'll be finished when we're done with today. We're gonna talk about rejection. So that might have been a lot to listen to. I promise you it was a lot to say. I feel like I need to double over and take a deep breath. (laughs) Today we're gonna talk about rejection. And I got to tell you, during the, the, our time of praise and worship, I was very engaged in the praise and worship, but that engagement was manifest in a different way than, than normal. Normally, there would be participation, to sing as one, and, and to lift our hands in freedom and celebration. Uh, today, I was very moved to swap some verses around and to introduce some things. So, uh, you know, the notes are a complete mess, but I'm, I'm really believing that today's message is intentional for myself and, and for you as well. Today is a very intentional day in the word for all of us. As we get into the, the, the idea of rejection, uh, I, I want to offer a couple of thoughts. Uh, remember, we're talking about this being kind of the culmination of the, this, this final act before there's division and separation. I mean, I'm offering to them to you, excuse me, these things to you, again, in my opinion, is progressive, you know, negativity leading to defensiveness, leading to bitterness, now ultimately manifesting in rejection. And there's, there's reasons for that, and I want to offer them to you from the Scripture. Uh, one, rejection, in my opinion, and I'm going to give you Scripture to back this up, is the, the pinnacle of pain. And I'll give you my reasoning for this. Why I believe rejection is the most painful thing a person can experience uh, I'll give it to you from the scripture, if you want uh, probably the best, uh, uh, easiest read to kind of see the culmination of these things, I would offer to you Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 is going to include the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and, and as you see uh, Jesus leading up to the crucifixion, you see the, the, uh, the t- tremendous stress, uh, the, the tremendous anxiety, You see all of those things, but yet he's he's silent. And uh, you see the the humiliations and the beatings and the mockings. Uh, You see the the physical torture, the psychological torment and torture, the emotional torture. You see all of these things that he's enduring, and he remains silent through these things. And then as you continue to read through the crucifixion, you, you get to the actual act itself, the nails being driven in and the cross being erected, and and the the ultimate of, of human torture being manifest to his physical body, and even through that, he remains silent. But as you continue to read through Matthew 27, there comes a place where Jesus feels rejection, and the word says then and there, he cried out with a loud voice, Father, Father, why have you rejected me? It's interesting to me, and you have to read between the lines a little bit, but you see all of this suffering, all of these things that are tremendously uncomfortable. There's there's no doubt that the level of of mental stress and strain, physical torment, it's all present there, and it's all at the the height of its affliction. It couldn't be worse. But he cries out at the revelation of, of this rejection. And I have to ask myself then, what makes rejection so awful. Why is rejection so bad? What makes it so painful? I've experienced rejection in my life and I would have no problem agreeing that it's, it's tremendously painful. It could be the most painful experiences I've known in my life. Many of our issues come from rejections experienced by family, parents, things like that, where they affect us the rest of our days, affecting how we choose things and the decisions we make, the attitudes we have, the views and perspectives that we have concerning things in the world and things Outside of the world, things that would affect our faith and, and our, our beliefs. I want to offer this to you as, as why I believe rejection to be so painful. And it's going to come through a definition. Now, I've given definitions before, and I'm always very clear if we're using the dictionary or if I'm giving you my definition. Like uh, before, when I gave you unresolved anger as a definition for bitterness, I made it very clear that's, that's my definition. That's not turning to the dictionary. I want to give you my definition for rejection. Not the dictionary, but this is just my definition. If you were to say, hey, Preston, can you give me a brief definition of rejection? My answer would be forced loneliness. Forced loneliness. Well, it might not seem so bad, but when you think about that and you consider it, That's actually a manifestation of the very thing that God said wasn't good. It's not good for man to be alone. So why would this base path of destruction, you know, start with something small like a critical word or a negative thought and then manifest with rejection because rejection is this ultimate fulfillment of everything that God said isn't good for any aspect of my being. If you want to bring me low physically forced loneliness. If you want to bring me low mentally, forced loneliness. If you want to bring me low emotionally, forced loneliness. If you want to bring me low spiritually, forced loneliness. And look at every single thing that God has done to redeem our lives and it's the opposite of forced loneliness. It's I will go out of my way to manifest myself physically and be with you. And then if I can't be with you physically, I will pour out my spirit so that no matter where you go, I will be there. You'll never be alone. Pretty powerful to consider. And it makes us think about the rejections in our life and the effects that they have. The, the, the idea that perhaps this isn't just the flesh and blood that it's being manifest through, but maybe this is the work of the devil. Maybe this is a, is a spiritual assignment to bring me to the place where it's not good and therefore I'm not good. My decisions are compromised. My attitudes are compromised. My, my thoughts are compromised. And therefore who I am is completely compromised all because of this spiritual scheme to force loneliness in my life, rejection. It's painful. If I were to ask, you know, has anyone in the room experienced rejection, I think it would be kind of a a redundant question to ask because I'm quite convinced that every hand would fly up. And for some, both hands would fly up. And for some, it wouldn't be, have I ever experienced rejection? It would be, I'm currently experiencing rejection, and I can tell you it's painful. That forced loneliness in my life is compromising every aspect of my being. I want to talk a little bit about what it is. You know, Obviously, we've seen uh, the, what it does. It produces this, this pain and, and this wound. This, it, it manifests the very thing that God himself says is not good for us. But I I want to give a passage of scripture, and I'm going somewhere with this passage of scripture, so if it doesn't apply right away, give it time. But if you can turn your Bibles to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 11, I want to look at verse 13. There was a time you would say something like that, and you would just hear pages flipping and turning, and, and in a day of apps and pads and phones, and things like that, it's, it's not quite the same. I hear your pages now, you're turning louder. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 13. Now, it, it, it might not seem, like I said, like it's very applicable to where we were going, but just give it time. We're going to see really what rejection is, and it's important to see what it is as we understand how it works and how its effects are manifest. When we see what rejection is, not only can we identify when rejection is coming toward us, but we can also identify when we are the bringers of rejection, the carriers of rejection, when we are the tool that's being used in the scheme to introduce rejection and bring into existence that forced loneliness, that thing that God says, and dare I say that one thing that God says is not good. Think about all the things he could have said. He could have said it's not good for man to sin. I mean, he could have said all kinds of stuff, but he said it's not good for man to be alone. That should really intrigue us and and cause us to think. I've labored long and hard in different churches and different states and, and, and other countries, and I've seen wonderful things happen when people come together, and I've seen terrible things when people rip apart. Rejection produces something absolutely devastating. Let me read this passage from Zechariah 11. Uh, verse 13 reads like this But they refused to pay attention, and they turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears from hearing. They made their hearts like flint so that they could not hear the word spoken, which the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the prophets. Therefore, wrath came upon them, destruction came upon them, that was the result. And just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord. Now, it's not exactly where we were going with this, but there's a lot of things that are worth noting here. I think we begin to see rejection in its manifestations, we see it in its origins, where, where it begins and how it's played out. I mean, it starts, I think the the word is is perfectly used, refused. Another human being, another person, another part of, of a body that is unified together is refused. If my body were to reject my arm, it would refuse circulation to my arm. It would refuse to allow my arm to participate in the actions and activities of the body, in the life and the circulation of the body. And ultimately, that refusal would end in death and separation. That refusal has a way in which it's manifest here. It talks about attention, refusing attention. You know, one of your basic needs is to have attention given to you. It seems to be a very base and carnal way to deal with people that have hurt you or wronged you, but it happens all the time. We call it the silent treatment, right? I just won't give them any attention. And it's interesting to me that you can travel the world and you'll find all kinds of different means of discipline and, and ways to implement punishment, and, and methods of, of, of to cause pain, and all of these things. But all across the world, no matter where you go, everybody knows the silent treatment. They all know the results of denying someone attention. Rejection it begins as this refusal manifest in the denying of attention, and then you'll see, turn to stubborn shoulder. That's that refusal to respond, even when somebody says, Hey, 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 I see what's going on here. I'd like to come make it right. But that stubborn shoulder says, I'm not going to turn and give you attention. What started as something that was meant just simply as a response to this situation is now going to remain, even though you would like to come and meet in the middle. A, a, a standing of ground, so to speak, but in the sense of pride or arrogance, knowing that there's affliction taking place, it really is, at its base, wicked. And then you'll see that this stubborn shoulder that's being turned, goes on to to produce the stopped ears from hearing, where now it's not only am I being silent to you, but when you begin to cry out, I turn my shoulder to you, and as you continue to cry out, now I'm just refusing to even hear your voice. You are dead to me. Rejection. Rejection being this manifestation of, of separation, this, this uh, manifestation of the thing that God says is bad for every single person to walk through. It's, it's just not good. It's going to produce negative effects. But yet it seems to be something that every human being on the planet is subject to producing, no matter where you go, you can find rejection. I want to offer a couple of thoughts as it concerns rejection, and I want to pull on this passage of scripture here. I want to talk about solutions for rejection, because there's no doubt that rejection has touched us in our lives. I've known rejection in my life. I know that you've known rejection in your life. And rather than sit and talk about this problem that we're all so familiar with, I'd like to switch gears and talk about the solution. And I would like to issue a call that we all become familiar with the solution and devoted to the solution for the purpose of bringing the solution with our lives and and seeing not only our own life separated from the pain and sorrow of what God says is no good, that being rejection, that forced loneliness, but that we might be a source of the opposite of rejection and bring about the opposite results. First of all, I want to offer a passage of Scripture that I think a lot of people are familiar with. And this is normally when I would turn in my Bible, and now I've got to turn to my phone, and I want to ask, have you ever heard someone talk about the measure that you measure with? I mean, have you ever heard this passage of scripture in a church before? Give, and it will be given to you. I mean, they will pour it out into your lap in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, for by your measure, it shall be measured to you in return. I've heard that. I've often heard that in the context of of sowing, and sowing is a wonderful thing. You'll never hear me say a negative word about it. Giving is a a part of the believer's life. We are a giving church, and a giving church is only a giving church when the church is made up of givers. But I want to give you the context of this passage of Scripture, this, this call to give and have it be given to you to have it poured out, pressed down, shaken together, and running over into your lap that it would be given to you. I wanted you to have the entire context of that. And to have the entire context of that, you have to know what's being said before. You'll find that passage of scripture in Luke, in in Luke chapter 6. And you'll find that that passage as it concerns good measure in, in Luke Chapter 6, around verse 27, and it'll go for several passages. But if you begin to read the passages that lead up to this, you'll see clearly the context. Luke chapter 6, from verse 38, where we were talking about giving, we go all the way up to verse 27 to find the context, and it reads something like this. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, or should I say bless those who reject you? And pray for those who abuse you, or should I say pray for those who reject you? And whoever hits you on the cheek, offer to him the other also. Whoever takes away your cloak, do not withhold from him your tunic to him either. You know, I've never denied someone my tunic, so I'm good there. I don't even know if I have a tunic. I hope that's not underwear. This passage of scripture goes on to say, give to everyone who asks of you and whoever uh, uh, takes what is yours, don't demand it back. Treat people the same way that you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you only do good to those who do good to you, what credit is there for you? For even sinners do the same. And, and if you lend to those, don't expect to receive. Uh, what credit is it to you, even sinners who lend, expect to have it given back. But love your enemies and do good. Lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And he goes on to say this, And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind even to the ungrateful and evil. And then it goes on to get to verse 35. But love your enemies and do good. As you lend, don't expect in return. He himself is kind, even to the ungrateful. Be merciful, just as your heavenly Father is merciful. Do not judge. And you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. And now the famous verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. Pour it out, it will be given to you. Pour into your lap with good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. I look at this passage of Scripture, and I can think of, of how it would apply to so many areas of my life. But I see this and I see it applying very heavily in the the realm of rejection. I think of how many times I've done good to people and they did nothing back in return. That I extended to people and they took. That that I I did good to people and was smacked. I mean metaphorically, sometimes not metaphorically, but there are, are so many times in a believer's life where you will do what's right and someone will afflict you in response And this is an opportunity for us to respond to the rejection that exists in the world. To operate by a different measure and to see a different result. And and I, I believe wholeheartedly that this is the work of Jesus Christ. When I see him who had no guilt in him, take on himself the sins of all mankind, he owed me absolutely nothing and he gave me everything. I was an enemy to him. And not only did he pardon me, but then he bestowed upon me his entire kingdom. Have you ever considered the fact that the word makes no apology to say that you are seated with him in heavenly places and not seated next to him? Let your wheels turn on that—that he didn't just adopt you as his court gesture, or jester, excuse me, or make you his pet, but that he invited you into himself. To be one with him. To share his throne. And to operate in his kingdom in the full authority of his name. To be his body. It's a pretty great thing to consider. And all of this while we were afflicting, while we were slapping, while we were taking, while we were the ones who were producing all of these things that when they're handed to us may produce a response of rejection. You're going to treat me like that? Here comes that silent treatment. Here comes that shoulder of rejection. And now I can't even hear your voice anymore. You are dead to me. Good luck. When we talk about rejection a lot, it's easy for us to talk about the idea of rejection and minister, you know, healing for rejection. And we ought to do that. That's important. That's absolutely necessary. But I think it's also important for us to ask, God, will you show me how much I reject? Can we start with that? Rather than just come and ask to be healed of all the rejection that's taken place in my life, can we repent for all the rejection that we've produced in our life and trust and believe that by introducing a new measure there, we'll get a new measure all the way around? Father, let me be one who refuses to reject. Let me be just like Jesus, a dimly burning wick I won't extinguish, a bruised reed I won't break. And those who have afflicted me, I will not cut off. But I'll stand with an open door for your work, the work of your spirit, ultimately your love, to respond and bring about its good work. I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture here, and in doing so, we'll we'll be uh, concluded. I want to talk about the rejection that Jesus experiences and why this scheme is still at work. This scheme is still at work because it's still effective. And you'll see that if you go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2 begins to speak of Jesus. And I want you to pay attention to the words that are being written here. 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to begin in verse 4. And we come to him, now him there is Jesus, as a a living stone which has been rejected by people. Did you hear rejected loud and clear there? That's what we're on today, rejection. Jesus was rejected, but yet is the choice, that's a very important word, and precious cornerstone in the sight of God. And you also, oh wow, let that soak in. You're now being included in this. You are equally as important in what's being spoken here. And you also are living stones being built up as a spiritual house for the holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus. For this is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and all who believe in him will not be put to shame. Let me reword that last line without changing its meaning at all. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and those who believe in him will not suffer rejection. To be accepted by God is the wonderful, precious, free gift of the gospel. To live a life free from rejection is to live a life of acceptance. By definition, that is the gospel. I'll give you a passage of scripture that you can hang your hat on on that as it concerns that truth and it comes from John chapter 15, verse 16. If you go to the gospel of John chapter 15, you'll see Jesus speaking and he says this to those who've called upon his name, you did not choose me. But I chose you, and I appointed you that you would go and be fruitful, and that your fruit would remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name he may give to you, this is my commandment, that you love one another. It's an interesting passage of Scripture to read as you consider rejection, but I want to offer this to you. As we've looked at negativity and criticism, as we've looked at uh, defensiveness, and as we've looked at bitterness, We've talked about the solutions to those things. And as we look at rejection, I see the solution for all rejection being that choosing. That choosing is the manifestation that can only be identified as love. We have a saying in our house, and sometimes it's spoken with great joy and excitement, and other times with deep conviction, but what you choose is what you love. The idea that Jesus chooses me means that he's under no obligation at all. It means that he has options. It's not even as if, well, you know, I've got to to have somebody, you know, expand my kingdom. And we really don't have a lot of options, so Preston, you're in. But rather, with others to compare to, a choice would be made and he would choose you the complete and total opposite of rejection. And the reason why he would choose you is 100% his love for you. There is absolutely no obligation for him to choose you. There's no qualification that would make me desirable to him other than his own name, other than his own blood, other than his own spirit. And he only would choose me because of his love for me. I want to close with this passage of scripture as we examine rejection in our lives and as we desire to be a solution to rejection and close the door to that ultimate uh, scheme to divide, to bring into existence that one thing that God said was not good, that forced loneliness. A passage of Scripture from the book of Philippians chapter 2. Now, if your Bible has titles in it, you know, in paragraphs and sections, more than likely that title for this section is going to be something that you might want to underline, circle, or highlight. That title is probably going to say something like, Be Like Jesus. Mine says, Be Like Christ. and It opens with these words, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, and any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, make joy complete. By being unified in mind and maintaining the same love and unity of spirit and intent on one purpose. Now here comes that purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for yourself, but also for the interest of others. I'd like to sum that last part up with just two words. Choose others. The same way that Jesus would choose you, the same way that Jesus would choose me, I have an opportunity when faced with hardship or conflict to choose others. Is that a call to compromise and to enter into sin or partner with that which is unrighteous? Not at all. But it is a call to not turn a deaf ear and a stubborn shoulder and reject those that we're called to reach. How can I be the light to the world if I turn off the lights? Our call is to be the opposite of rejection. Our call is to reveal God's choosing those that would call upon his name and receive his free gift of mercy and grace. And we've tasted of rejection not because life sucks, but we've tasted of rejection so that we can understand and know how poisonous that road is so that we can reject rejection and that we can adopt a lifestyle just like Jesus to consider others before ourselves, to take on that same mentality, that same heart that would celebrate encouragement in his name, that would celebrate the the consolation of his love and fellowship of the spirit, affection and compassion, joy. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray over us, and it's going to be a a prayer that will move in, in two directions. One is going to be asking for freedom from the bondage of rejection that would be placed upon our lives, that forced loneliness that others, without even knowing they were doing so, were bringing about the most devastating thing they could possibly bring about into our lives. And I want to pray also and ask the Holy Spirit to move in our our hearts and our minds to, to let rejection stop with us, that we would see the call upon our lives to manifest the wonders of God's choosing, his calling and his appointing, the wonders of his love, and that our actions, our attitudes, and our words would be different than those in this world that would thrive on rejection. There where you stand, you're welcome to be in an attitude of agreement or, or simply receiving, but I want to pray for us this morning and trusting and believing that the Holy Spirit is present to minister to each one of us. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. And we realize that it's not good for us to be alone in any way. Will you let there be relief from any forced loneliness that has been pressed upon our lives at any time, in our childhood, through our youth, as adults, no matter which way it has come, let your healing meet it. And let your healing dissolve that poison that would affect our thoughts and our minds, our attitudes and hearts, our actions. Let it be so overwhelmed and so overcome by the truth that you've chosen us and that you love us that it would have uh, no room to bring its ill effects into our lives any longer. Let the result be healing. Let us be willing to forgive those who have forced that loneliness upon us. That we wouldn't keep those doors open for that affliction to continue to pump its poison into our lives. Let it be cut off and let our lives be given to bring about the opposite of this scheme. But that rather than be given to reject one another, we might be equipped to do something altogether different, equipped to see beyond ourselves and to see those around us, to be those who would be willing to serve even when it's painful and difficult, that we wouldn't be like the world, but that we truly would be as your kingdom. Let us be just like Jesus. That we would be willing to serve our enemies. That we'd be willing to comfort those who cause us pain. That we would be willing to rejoice in those who would bring us grief. Let our eyes be open to see the way you see. And let our hearts be given to do the things that you do. We want to speak words of healing and kindness. We want to speak words that make a way for unity to prevail and the celebration of your love to be embraced. And let the results of our redeemed lives bring about the opposite of rejection into this world. Let it bring about the gospel manifest in and through each of us, the expansion of your kingdom. That there would be an open door, an open arms an open way for fellowship and that rejection would stop with your people and that your kingdom would begin. We bless your name and we thank you for these things and we ask that your word have its way in our hearts and minds that we be transformed for your glory and we thank you for your goodness to do so by your spirit in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declare, Amen.